Thanks, Tim. One of our elders. You could tell that he wasn't expecting that verse. You probably weren't either. Before I forget, this afternoon at 11, or this morning at 1130, we're having an affirmation class. And so if you have any of your kiddos or teens in that class, that's where we talk about why do we do baptism, communion, all that. Meet Julie right here at the picnic tables at 1130. 11.30. So if you're sending your kiddos or you're going, just meet her there. All right. So we're in a series. Um, by the way, this series could go on and on and on and on and on. Why, a different kind of faith. How are we different? And we've used the metaphor all summer of God reaching down with an open hand and offering us a gift. Pretty much everything we talk about in the Bible is going to fit in that category. So we could keep going if we wanted to. But then at the same time, not only is he offering a gift, but he's inviting us into something, and it's a relationship that's very unique. It's special. But even more than that, the gift that he gives to us is designed to be shared. Designed to be shared. So, today we're talking about singleness. Two weeks ago we talked about marriage. We're talking about singleness. Most singles do not think of singleness as a gift. And that's partly because of the way that we, the world, as well as the church, has looked on marriage. So our very first thing we have to do is to recover a theology of singleness. It's actually there in the Bible. We're going to go through it this morning. For many of you, we're not recovering it because you never heard it the first time. It's actually developing a theology of singleness. How can it be a gift? So listen to this passage again that Tim read. Okay? It's 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, starting in the second half of chapter 6, is all about marriage life. Marriage, singleness, married, unmarried, all that sort of stuff. So he says, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's in the context of married and single, and he's single. So he says, I wish that all of you were like that, single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that gift. I think what he's talking about, the gift of marriage or the gift of single. And you're probably wondering, how can singleness be a gift? How can that be a gift? But it is. And you're going to find out how in just a minute. In fact, what we're going to find is that singleness is a better gift than marriage. Maybe hard to believe. You see, all throughout history, being single has look, been looked down on. Until recently. And so today, singleness is actually common, more common. Everybody likes to talk about the divorce rate is declining. You know why? Because people aren't getting married. We have other ways of solving our desires and our needs and our lusts. Friends with benefits. But what if singleness is actually a gift from the Lord to us as a church and to the world in a very unique way? You know, you go back to the you go back to the Jewish scholars, the Jewish theologians. The Bible doesn't say a lot about singles in the Old Testament. Um, every country kind of had the same viewpoint. There was something wrong with you if you weren't married at an early age, especially the males. The males. 
You see, honor was established partly by the fact that you had multiple wives. For the females, honor was established because you had children. So if you were barren, you were seen to be cursed. Think of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. There's an example of that. And for the males, it was being married and having children, offspring. And so you can go back to the Jewish writings, and depending on when you're talking in different eras, they would identify the age at which they decided you were cursed if you weren't married. There's something wrong with you. You see, marriages were arranged. So it wasn't up to you to find the right person to marry. Your parents took care of that for you. So if they're not married, if you're not married, there's obviously something wrong with you. And that has carried on down through the centuries in a variety of contexts. So in today's world, in the evangelical world, the church world that we belong to, the expectation is that you will get married. And if you don't get married, there must be something wrong. Why isn't God blessing me? What's wrong? The whole thinking is backwards. It's completely backwards. You see, when Paul comes on the scene, actually when Jesus, he starts it. We'll look at this in a minute. By the way, Jesus himself chose to be single. There's a hint. World history once again changed. Once again changed. He took the world in a very different direction. One of the things we've talked about all along throughout this series is this concept of redemption. Whenever God involves himself in our world, in our creation, he does so for the purpose of redemption. That means something's broken and he wants to fix it. So the further back into the Old Testament you go, the more horrible it gets. Because there's a whole lot of broken things back there. Women are property? Really? That is so foreign to us. And yet that was the way they thought. And so when God steps into the creation, either through his spoken word or through his action, he begins that journey of repairing something that isn't what we were created for. He wants to fix it. He wants to begin to redeem it, to shape it, to move us in a whole different direction. And so as you start earlier back in the Old Testament and you start looking at these things that are broken, you begin to see layers built upon layers as he moves through culture very slowly fixing things. How many of you women would want to go back 3,500 years and live then? You think so? You were property. You were owned. Your husband could do whatever he wanted to do with you. And there's not a thing you could do about it. In fact, if he didn't like you, in most countries, he could just have you executed. Talk about pressure. You want to go back to that world? No way. No way. Did a wedding yesterday down in Denver. And I told the bride and groom, so when we read this passage, everybody turn and just, both of you just turn and watch the crowd. Ephesians 5, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. And you could see almost everybody in the crowd do this. So after they read the passage, I said, how many of you think this passage no longer fits today and it belongs way back in an ancient world? Every hand went up. And it's like, oh, 
oh, oh, oh my goodness. And I said, it's actually just the opposite. Paul is the first person in human history to equalize relationships. And I took him through it. And when I got done, I had this young, feisty 25-year-old, somewhere in the 20s. She came up to me and she said, you read that passage? And I go, oh, for crying out loud. We live in the 21st century. Why are you reading that passage? And then she said, I listened to your explanation of it. And she said, the more you explained it, the more interested I got. And she said, are there other stories in the Bible like this? And I said, yes, all of them. And she said, I think I would enjoy reading the Bible again if you were sitting next to me and could explain it. You see, the entire Bible is the movement from a completely broken, fallen world to a world that envisions the new covenant where we begin to model for the broken world what genuine life looks like into the what we call the eschaton, into eternity, the new earth, and it's preparing us. We're being prepared right now for eternity by what we do. And singleness is no different. Singleness is no different. When, the, when Jesus stepped into the world, everything changed. I'm going to read to you one passage out of Matthew 19. It's interesting because it just happens to be a passage on divorce. It's interesting how Jesus, when he gets questioned about the law, managed to throw curveballs into the discussion to shift their thinking. So he's talking about divorce. And, uh, and he's saying that you shouldn't get divorced. God hates divorce. And um, so the disciples said to him, this tells you a little bit about what was going on in culture. <laughs> they respond this way. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you're right. He doesn't say it quite like that. He says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. He gives three categories of eunuchs. There are those that are born as eunuchs. They're not, uh, they can't sexually function. There are those eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and that was pretty common back then. They would prepare the royal court by uh, making them eunuchs because then they were loyal. They didn't have to worry about them messing with the king's harem that way. But then you got this little phrase, the third category, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's singleness. Listen to that again, because this is a description of Jesus himself. This was his choice. There are, chose to, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It's not the way the world defines singleness, is it? You see, Paul makes a very, very important argument in 1 Corinthians 7. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter. It's extremely complex. Chapter 7 on the marriage and divorce, singleness. But one point he makes that's very clear is that if you want to be wholly devoted to the Lord, stay single. The moment you get married, you have divided interests. You have divided interests. 
when I first became a missionary, Nancy liked to remind me I didn't make a vow of poverty. We've left about that many times. She's right. In fact, at one point in our early years in, over in missionary service, they sent us over underfunded. And after a year of watching, uh, not only having to live by faith, but simply only having enough mo uh, money to barely survive. And I was watching it wear, the wear and tear on Nancy with, with three kids, soon to be four. Our youngest was born in Germany. And I could see it wearing her down. And I just prayed. And I just said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. This isn't right. They sent us over underfunded, way underfunded, and we don't have the money to live on. I don't have the ability to go back to these states and raise more money. So here's what I'm willing to live with. If I go two more months without being fully supported, I'm resigning and going home. That's what's in the best interest of my wife. Because I have divided commitments. And those of you that have been married know what I'm talking about. If I wanted to go live by myself underfunded, I should have stayed single. But I didn't. So therefore, I incurred obligations. So I just prayed and said, it's real simple, Lord, from now on for the next three years, I don't know how you're going to raise the money, but if I go two more months, two months in a row without being fully supported, I'm going home. From that day on, we are 100% supported for the rest of our time overseas. And I watched life in Nancy as she had the resources to raise our family and do ministry. It wasn't fair to ask her to live a life like that. It wasn't fair. And that's one of the things, one of the Paul's points that gets us to where I want to go, that the single, the unmarried, can be wholly devoted to the Lord, whereas married people, they're, they're divided. That's hard for the single to do. When's the last time you sat down with a single in our church or anybody that you know is single and just say, How, what is it like? Most of you can't remember. It's too far back. What's it like? You see, singleness is not a concession. It's not a concession. It shouldn't be. This is part of that theology that we need to recover, that singleness is not a concession. It's a choice. It should be a choice. Okay? I'm going to argue that it's a sign of what's coming. And I'm going to contrast it with marriage. So he says, um, <clears throat> let me get to the right place. At the near halfway through chapter 7, he's having this discussion about whether a man should marry a virgin that he's engaged to, should he stay single, all of that. He said, so then he who marries the virgin does right, takes good care of her. But he who does not marry her does even better. You see, singleness is not a concession. It should not be. We should not frame the discussion so that singleness is something you just have to live with. What we really ought to be saying is singleness is the best choice. Because then you get to love the Lord wholly in an undivided way. So how does that work? How does that happen? Okay, let's talk about marriage and singleness. Let's put them side by side. I argued two weeks ago that marriage is an example of our relationship with Christ. Right? 
Some of you here remember that. So the way we treat each other in marriage, and that's where I argued that if your marriage is based on a contract, negotiation, and compromise, if that's what it's based on, then you're going to end up in detente, where you're really motivated to get rid of conflict. That doesn't produce joy. Peace is not the absence of conflict. That's not what peace is. You see, the biblical concept of peace, shalom, is the giving and generating of life. True peace generates life. So you got two pathways to go down in marriage. You can go down the contract route where you begin to negotiate and compromise and you end up in a dry place. Or you could take this much harder road, covenant, where it's all based on sacrifice. And that begins to generate joy, true peace. This road is significantly harder. When I do premarital counseling, and we actually flesh this out over several weeks, it's amazing watching them saying, oh, wait, the sun. Just had to enjoy it. It's gone again. (laughs) It's amazing watching them saying, so we have a choice. You do. You have a choice which pathway you're going to take. And so then Paul argues in Ephesians 5, which we looked at two weeks ago, that a marriage done well becomes a picture. Here's that gift from the Lord that we share with the world. A marriage done well becomes a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. How else are they going to see it? There's no billboards out there. I love billboards. I think they're great. Remember three or four years ago, the man in Florida that predicted the uh, end of the world? It was like his fourth or fifth time, and he got it wrong, but he corrected his calculations each time. So this time, he was right. The Lord is coming back. He predicted it. The next day, there was a billboard up north that said, that was awkward. (laughs) I love churches with a sense of humor. No one knows the day or the hour except the Father. That's what it said in the billboard. Is there any billboard out there to tell them what relationship with Christ is like? There's not. That's why your marriages are so critical. Shape them well. I got a call from a guy in another state who's been watching the live streaming. And he said, I heard you say that um, if your marriage is in trouble, don't be ashamed. He goes, my marriage is in trouble. Okay. And he said, can I fly out and meet with you? Sure. This is wonderful. And so we met. So would you like me to fly out and meet with you and your wife? I just love it. If your marriage is in trouble, don't be ashamed. Come get help. Just don't leave it there. Because when a marriage is done well, that's what the world, that's the number one picture they have of what life with Christ is like. Okay? But now we have another problem. How do singles show us anything? Right? Matthew 22, Pharisees decide to trick Jesus. A man is married and he dies. According to the law, the wife marries the brother. So he can raise up offspring in the name of his, his brother who died. And so that man dies, so then he marries, she marries the next brother. By the way, this is partly the story of Ruth. And a few other examples. So after seven brothers have died, the actually the Sadducees, so you believe in the resurrection? Whose wife is she going to be? Remember Jesus' answer? In heaven, 
there is no marriage. I don't know what that's like. But I can tell you this. Whatever it's going to be like not being in marriage, because the words that describe marriage in the Old Testament are the word, I mean, that describe marriage, yes, are the same words that describe the relationship with God. Somehow, somehow, I don't understand how, don't ask me how, but I believe by faith what God is saying is true. To stand there in his presence for eternity and to enjoy him is going to be better than our marriage. Where's a billboard that shows you that? Where do we look to find out what it's like to have that level of relationship with the Lord? Our singles. That's what a theology of singleness is all about. If marriage shows us what it's like to have the, uh, the relationship between Christ and the church, the singles, they show us what it's like to have a relationship with God where they trust Him and depend on Him. That's that gift. That's why it's called a gift. Where else can we look in culture and see it? No place. You understand? A marriage done well shows the world and the church what it's like to be, for us as a church, to be in a relationship with Christ. Singleness done well shows us what it's like to experience a deeper joy because we're wholly devoted to the Lord. Do you see why both are called gifts? They serve very different purposes. One helps us to understand life in this present world, and one helps us to understand life in eternity. Marriage helps us understand and see what it's like to serve Christ today. Singleness helps us see what it's going to be like for eternity, if they're done well. And we have shot our singles. We have hurt them by creating a, 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 a picture that says that it's bad to be single. It is not bad to be single. That's why Paul says, either one is a gift. Either one. If you're going to marry, do it right. If you're going to be a single, do it right. But don't for a second think that you're devalued because you're a single. Not at all. You're showing us something that we can't see any other way. It's just simply words to us when we look at this. It's words. conceptual until you get into marriage and you say oh now I know what a good marriage is or until you learn to rely on the Lord and you say now I know what a relationship with the Lord is like so it's really critical for us as a church I'm talking not only our church here but at the national level there's a lot of there's a lot of scholars out there saying this that we need to reframe our thinking on what singleness is all about especially in today's world where singleness is, is really defined more in terms of, who I don't have to get into a commitment. Ooh, that's a bad, that's a bad dead-end road that ends in a very nasty place. So I want to make sure you get it. Marriage. Marriage shows us what it's like to have a relationship with Christ 
as a community, as a church. Singleness shows us what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord where he supplies all of our needs, which is what eternity is going to be like. I've talked to singles that have lived their whole life. You, many of you are here last week with Lisa Harper. She made the comment, maybe one day I'll get married. So I asked her about it, and she goes, yeah, maybe one day I won't. She's learned to be content. She's learned to trust the Lord, and she's not the only one. I've met lots and lots of singles that are older that have learned it. By the way, it takes a while. It doesn't happen quickly, just like in your marriage. It doesn't happen quickly. It takes a long time. Am I right, those of you that are married? It takes quite a while. I see a bunch of head shaking to begin to really to develop that deeper sense of what marriage is all about, what it's truly all about. It takes a while. The sad news is we almost always give up before we get to that place. There is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We just never get there in today's world. It takes a while. And for those singles that I've met that have been around for, that have chosen to be single for a long time and have learned to trust the Lord, they are filled with joy. A joy that I haven't seen. I experience joy. Nancy and I have a great relationship. It's great, but they, they're different. They are both gifts of the Lord. So some of you have a gift for one and some of you have a gift for the other, but they're both gifts. That's the key. They're both gifts. And they both teach us something about what God, who God is. One is a gift that teaches us what it's like in today's world as a church to enjoy that relationship with Christ. And the other one teaches us what it's like for eternity to enjoy the Lord. They're both hard. They're both challenging. They're both involved faith. They both involve practice and discipline. They both involve struggle. But as you get closer and closer to meeting the Lord, in other words, as you mature in age, they both serve a very grand purpose. So do you understand how singleness is a gift? Our singles are a gift to us. They're a gift to me. I get to see something that I couldn't otherwise see. Does that make sense to you? Take the singles out and sit with them and learn something. Ask them what it's like. Ask them what it's like. And you'll learn something that you haven't learned before. Father, thank you for... Again, every time I look in your word, I'm just pretty astounded at how how much you enjoy teaching us and how consistent you are in moving us down this road toward redemption, giving us a picture of what it's going to be like one day to look you in the eyes and to realize that deep, deep joy that comes from just being in your presence. It's hard for us, Lord. It's hard for us today because we, we have to rely on each other for that in the Holy Spirit. We can't touch you. We can't see you. Not yet. We look forward to the day when we can. And Lord, I personally want to lift up our singles sitting here in the crowd and those that aren't here today. Thank you for their life. Guard them. 
teach them these things so that they can show us what it looks like to rely wholly on you. To be completely committed to your way. In your son's name we pray. Amen.